The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. So, welcome to the Buddhist Society of Victoria, the Buddha Loka. Uh, Buddhist Center this evening. Nice to see people turning up. I, the weather has been so changeable, I couldn't predict, you know, it was so rainy and stormy at times, but then blue skies. Quite interestingly, at the monastery today, it snowed. It was snowing, you could see, not sticking on the ground, not staying on the ground, but uh, it was snowing. It was quite, in <laughs> quite, uh, it was very high there. The altitude's 800 meters. So it does get very cold and does snow. So as usual, I'd just like to introduce myself for those people who are watching online who don't know who this, who this old monk is, <laughs> thinking, who is he? This is Ajahn Nisarano, and I'm the senior monk at the monastery, which is part of the Buddhist Society of Victoria. It's called Newbury Buddhist Monastery. And it's about an hour and a half from the Buddhist center we have here in Melbourne. And I've been a monk for uh, 25 years. Really, will be 25 in March, but we usually count it in terms of rains retreats. And I have lived for 14 of those years, almost 14 years, in Sri Lanka, and living in a cave for eight years, which is always interesting for people. Fascinating. <laughs> it was a lovely time because I live in a forest with uh, on the side of a mountain many animals around, very beautiful, and a stream that ran five months of the year, and a, a rock pool, a rock pool, which you could bathe in, or I used for bathing when I first arrived there. Later, I've got all the mod cons when we rebuilt, they rebuilt the kuti, rebuilt the hut, so that was very nice. And now I've, I am uh, based permanently. We use this word permanently a lot, but it doesn't mean much, really. <laughs> Permanently, nobody's permanent. Actually, that's the that's the teaching of the of nature, re reality. So I'm based at uh, Newbury Buddhist Monastery. So that's great. And as usual, the format will be a bit of an introduction, and then a guided meditation for roughly about forty five minutes, and then there'll be uh, opportunity to ask questions, make comments afterwards. Usually, there are none. So I, I say this at the retreats, I say, write them down beforehand, <laughs> because once you've finished meditating, and it's a good sign, they evaporate, you know, all the questions go. If the mind gets peaceful, you know, the thinking dies down, and the questions go, you know, so this is the nature of it. But we have the online audience, and the online audience is, is maybe, well, who, know, who knows what they're doing, <laughs> they're well watching, or... Uh, uh, perhaps meditating, they could be eating their dinner, <laughs> doing their emails, <laughs> all the usual, watching YouTube, other th other things, many things. So, so this evening I'd like to uh, focus on. I always like to have a theme, and I think it's very useful. And it's always about a positive emotion that we can develop in the meditation to assist the meditation, make it go, help it to go deeper, not make it go deeper, help it to go deeper. Because it makes, for instance, the breath very attractive, much more attractive. Most people think the breath, oh, so boring. <laughs> but if we have a, a very positive emotion with it, it's very useful. It takes the mind deeper until that automatic process that the Buddha talks about, where joy, 
piety comes up and then there's tranquility of the body, then happiness, then the mind coming together. And this is like an automatic process, but we've got to get to the automatic stage, which means we need to be able to stay with the breath or stay with an object long enough for this to kick in. So this is the, the job of these positive emotions. So this evening I thought I would talk about gratitude. Uh, we focus on gratitude, the emotion of gratitude and uh, thankfulness. And to use it in the meditation, but of course, you know, whatever we develop in the meditation has to be authentic. I know some people, I've had question one time that it sounded like they thought we were fabricating these, uh, making up these feelings, these emotions. It doesn't work. We can't. If it, if it isn't a real emotion, it won't be of use in the meditation. It won't be of use in our lives. We have to connect with that with different emotions and to be able to use them. And, uh, and what we're doing when we do that is reconditioning the mind, reconditioning the habits we have. We have lots of habits, many of them we could well do without. <laughs> so if we can develop more positive habits uh, that come up almost automatically, that's the nature of habits. And you see that sometimes people can get very angry very quickly that's because they've practiced that quite a bit and are good at it. <laughs> but if one has practiced, say, a lot of kindness, generosity, these things come to the mind much more readily. They become part of the habit of the mind. So we're creating new habits. And these we're taking from the meditation into our daily life. So that's uh, what we're aiming to do. And of course... When we have gratitude, it really allows us to appreciate what we already have. Actually, Chinta, would you mind a cup of hot water? Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, no, no problem. <laughs> Very useful. I run on hot water. <laughs> Not cold water. <laughs> In Sri Lanka, most, most monks drink hot water. It's a hot country, but you drink hot water. And it, it, somehow it works, you know. And it cools down anyway. So, <laughs> so, so this, uh, when we have gratitude, it allows us to appreciate what we've already got. And this is something that we can overlook because we, we focus on what we want. And that can obscure what we already have. And so this is something that really is very helpful for the meditation and for our lives. It creates stability and happiness in the mind. And I know Ajahn Brahm has this lovely saying, which is, when we want something else, we can't enjoy what we already have. And that's so true. When you want something very badly, then everything else gets lost. You know, all the things that we have get, get obscured. And I always give this image of the hand. When it's like this, that's all we see. And when the wanting is really strong, the craving, the desire is really strong. It's like that. And all we see is what we want. And this is the most important thing, even though we probably have so many other things that are much better than what this wanting is about. So the reason for developing this gratitude, I was uh, yesterday I gave a talk on the second noble truth uh, of that the Buddha taught. He taught his first teaching, the four noble truths. Most people have heard of these. And the first noble truth is that the essential nature of existence is 
unsatisfactory. It will never, never uh, be perfect. It will um, tend to lead to complications and to suffering. And the cause for that is wanting, is craving, tanha they call it. <laughs> and the solution for that is to abandon that uh, craving, that wanting. This is the jo- our job as meditators. And the third noble truth is the weight for the cessation, the complete letting go of that craving, that wanting, which is really the disturber of our peace, actually. We think it's our best friend, <laughs> but in actual fact it gives us a lot of work to do and makes us so discontent because we've got to get this. We've got to die. We die for this. We've got our bucket list and all these things. So the third noble truth is about how that can all end completely. And when it's ended completely, what are, what are we? Fully enlightened. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's it. Somebody, thanks. All right, pretty. I like hot, actually. Oh, that's area. So the talk yesterday was about craving, and it was the subtitle was "The Slave Master Craving, Wanting, Driving Us." Um, and the Buddha uses that term. He uses the term tanha dasa, and it can be interpreted as slave or servant of craving. And not many people think of themselves as the slave or servant of craving. Does that mean that we are not the cravers, the choosers, the ones that are wanting this stuff, wanting uh, relationships, wanting other things? So it's really pointing to that, but that's very deep, and that's not the subject of this evening. (laughs) But to experience an emotion which goes in completely the opposite direction is very useful. Gratitude. When we feel grateful, we feel like, God, enough. We feel content. Actually, it leads to this feeling of contentment. And so then, you know, this, this feeling, then it leads to a sort of peacefulness in the mind. We want, we don't want for anything when we feel content, when we feel grateful. And there's nowhere else we want to be perfect for meditation. <laughs> because this is the, one of the big problems is our very active minds and this restlessness in the mind. So this is a, a really an important emotion that can be very, very useful and one that we can make a habit of, as I mentioned. So it's, a, it's uh, and often I think people don't realize how much this wanting, craving is driving their lives, but it, it is it's driving almost every moment of our lives. And it's really, we're swapping uh, contentment, being happy just in the present moment with... I'll only be happy when I get this and that. And that's always in the future. It's never now. <laughs> Even if we want a coffee or whatever, it's always the next moment or uh, many hours away, many days away. And uh, this is what we're doing all the time. We like, we dislike whatever we're experiencing through our senses, through the mind. And then from liking, we, we get this. Uh, this is a, the liking comes from a pleasant feeling and then we like, and then we want. And then we hang on to it tightly, really want this badly. <laughs> and that's the arising, that's the direction of arising of, of suffering. But most people think, oh no, oh no, this, 
this craving, this wanting is going to make me happy. I'll be happy when I get it. But of course, you, you realize you're not happy until you get it. <laughs> and some of us may even think, well, maybe I won't get it. What if I don't get it? And then that's even more suffering for a person. So this is running most of the time for us, and it blinds us to what we really already have, which is more than enough. Um, so the meditation, as I say, is aimed to, to in a sense, break that cycle um, by uh, when we experience a, a sense of gratitude, warmth, bringing the mind to contentment, to balance, to peace, to stillness. So this is very, very useful for developing this contentment, which is, Ajahn Brahm calls, the fast track to enlightenment. <laughs> because we're letting go of a lot of desire when we are content. And in actual fact, it's not really, a, it's already accomplished. If we are content, we have no desires. Nearly everybody, I think, has experienced times like that. Often, not often enough, really, but we all know what it feels like when you just feel like happy to be here, wherever here is, just completely, it's just great, just as it is. You know, you may say, perfect. <laughs> perfect for a short time. But it's a sense of mental well-being and relaxation, ease, no agendas. So it's a very uh, pleasant emotion to develop. And of course, gratitude is what the psychologists are always recommending for. Depression. They reckon, recommend people having, used to be a, a bit of a trend, I think, having these gratitude journals. And you write down how things that you're grateful for today, three things you're grateful for today. And it's a very good practice, really, because when we're craving, what do we think of? We think of what we're missing, what we've got to get. But if we actually think of you know, what we're grateful about, that can bring happiness here and now. You know, even if it's just somebody at the office said something really nice today, or they did something nice, or you know, uh, we met somebody in the street, it was very kind. Sometimes uh, strangers can be amazingly kind, can't they? <laughs> and uh, so th these, this gratitude is really something that uh, can give us a lot of happiness and, you know, reduce uh, depression. And giving is also a great way, an antidote for depression. I call it these the, the best antidepressants. There's no side effects. The only side effect? Happiness. <laughs> That's not bad. And of course, you know, when we have grateful too, it's grateful when those times when there are tough times too, because uh, when, when things are getting difficult in our lives and maybe the relationships are getting very hard, we can remember, we can focus on the things we're grateful for in our life. If things are difficult at work or wherever we are, we have a difficult mind state, just to focus on what we're grateful for. Those things will bring, bring, make it easier to bear what we're experiencing at the moment. So, this is uh, contentment is very useful in the meditation, as you've gathered, because when we're content, the mind starts to get quite still, quite peaceful, and so that is very, very, very useful for the meditation. Because when the mind is like that, then the hindrances, the negative aspects of the mind that hinder our meditation, hinder wisdom, the Buddha says, both of them, then they tend to go down. 
And it's a wonderful way, positive emotions are a great way to overcome these negative um, uh, emotions, these blockages to meditation. And this, of course, is what the Buddha calls um, right effort, right effort. Because when we uh, develop positive emotions, wholesome emotions, it can overcome negative ones, replace them. And I know one of my teachers, Aikima, she used to use gratitude a lot to, uh, at the beginning of the meditation to prime the meditation, prime the mind. And of course, as I mentioned, that tends to uh, initiate staying with the object and leading to you know, this natural, the automatic joy, piety they call it, arising, tranquility when one's not perhaps aware of the body, is very relaxed, very peaceful, and then the happiness that comes from that, and then the mind coming together, one-pointed. So this is, this is what gratitude is very helpful for us. We can develop it. And it's a big, something that is a, a, an, um, an emotion that the Buddha really encouraged. He called it a great blessing. Have you heard of the Mahamangala Sutta? It's a, it's a list of 37 things that uh, are considered great blessings. And this is one of them. It's called Katanyuta. So it's uh, definitely a wholesome emotion and one that we can develop, um, make much of, really. And when we do make much of, it brings happiness to us and bring happiness to other people too because we'll be very positive. And the Buddha said that this is actually a grateful person, is a rare person in the world. And I think most of you have experienced that, haven't you? When, when you do something for somebody and you, you think, then actually this is a negative when you say, oh, they didn't even say thank you. They didn't appreciate it. If you do that, then you're already, you know, we're undermining our own happiness by expecting them to, to be appreciative. You know, I say to people, if they don't appreciate, if they don't say thank you, they're missing out on free happiness. Because when we're grateful, we feel good. We feel quite happy. So they've missed out on the opportunity. And so no need for us to think, well, at least they could have said thank you. <laughs> You know, and that that's that undermines that uh, feeling, and so it's a, it's a, one of the uh, words, the phrases that I use for this meditation is uh, I used to use I am so lucky, I'm so lucky, and uh, anyone recognise where that came from? I didn't realise. Have you heard of it? It's actually a long time ago. I didn't even know it until somebody pointed out to me. Do you know Ignacio? No. It's so long ago, I think most people don't. It was a song by Kylie Minogue. I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky. But Ajahn Brahm, fortunately, he said to me, I told him, I said, oh, you know, I use this mantra, I'm so lucky, for developing gratitude. And he said, that sounds fine, but one thing, problem, I... <laughs> So he said, so lucky is okay, but I'm so lucky. No, I thought, well, that's good. I'm getting further away from Kylie Minogue. <laughs> so it was quite, it was quite, a, quite a good, uh, good tip, really, you know, because this is a natural quality of the mind. 
when it's not driven by a sense of I. It comes up in the mind. It's like any of these positive qualities, you know. Sometimes you hear people say, oh, I can't, I can't develop metta, I can't develop this loving kindness. Um, it's, I just can't do it. It's a quality that we can all develop. Some people have got more of it in the sense of having practiced more of it, and so therefore it's easier for, them to cut, for it to come up for them. But with more practice, of course, it will become natural for us too. It's a different way of looking at the mind from the West. In the West, people tend to think you're either like this or you're not. You know, that used to be the attitude. But I think now with a lot of self-growth movement, there's more of a sense we can work with the mind, that the mind isn't uh, just one thing. When we identify the mind as being me, I, then we tend to think of it as being like this, like that. I'm... I'm an angry person, I'm a jealous person, I'm a kind person, or whatever. We, we identify with these things and solidify them so that they, we tend to be stuck on them. But that's not the case. So, And when we, uh, one of the things that we can do when we don't have gratitude is take things for granted, take people for granted. And usually the people we take for granted, who are they? Yeah, the ones we're closest to. <laughs> that's, that's the ones that we can take for granted. Because we think, we have the feeling, they'll always be there. But of course, that's not the case. That, that is not, it may be day in, day out. But it leads to this feeling of, well, you know, not, not appreciating them as much as we could. Um, and not really um, taking on board that the nature of reality is impermanence is change. You know, our partner could pass away. They could leave us. They, whatever, many things could happen, you know, to them. Uh, we don't operate on that system because for many people that gives rise to anxiety, doesn't it? Like COVID, the uncertainty of COVID, that really made us aware, yeah, things change. They really are impermanent. We just get over one lockdown, <laughs> think, oh, great, finished, finished. Then a new one starts. So it's, uh, it's really pointing to that impermanence. But very useful thing to do, and I think this is so important with people we're very close to, is just to imagine they've, they've gone away, just to do an imaginative exercise, they've gone away or died, and just see how one feels. I think then the appreciation comes up much more. Unfortunately, we tend to be grateful, appreciative about things once they've gone, people once they've gone, and we've missed that opportunity to really value them, to be grateful for them. So this is a very nice exercise one can do and to bring you know, appreciation into a relationship, into those very close relationships. So I'd just like to finish there and uh, we can do a guided meditation using gratitude and just using this uh, so lucky, we are so lucky. I don't say I'm so lucky. <laughs> Kylie Minogue could get me for uh, copyright infringement maybe. <laughs> there we are. So now we can... Find the comfortable position. Make sure that the chair, the cushion, 
is uh, comfortable for you. And we can come into the present. Just leave the past and the future. We are free for the time of the meditation. Past has happened, gone. The future, we don't know, really. So we can just be here in the present moment, just aware of the body and seeing what it needs just uh, to be comfortable. See what can help with the balance in the body, you know, the head over the shoulders, shoulders over the uh, hips, and how the um, fit legs are, the feet, and the hands either on the lap or on the legs as you find comfortable and stable. And we can relax the body mentally as well. This is the other part, the physical part, just balancing things, maybe moving the shoulders a little bit if there is tension or um, uh, stiffness, sometimes stiffness from sitting too long. Yes, and to mentally relax the body, starting at the top of the head and the sides of the head, the back of the head. Just soothing these areas with this kind, warm, relaxing attention, like a mental massage. And moving our attention down to the forehead and around the eyes and relaxing these areas, soothing them with this warmth. Moving down to the cheeks of the face, around the lips and the jaw. Giving this warm, kind, relaxing attention, soothing attention. And then moving the attention to the neck, all around the neck and giving that a good mental massage. So that any stiffness, any tension in the neck releases, relaxes.
Now we can bring to mind the right shoulder, starting at the neck and moving our attention along the right shoulder and soothing the right shoulder, relaxing any tension, any stiffness, any tightness in the right shoulder. Gently and kindly. Then bringing to mind the right arm, starting at the top of the right arm and moving our attention down the right arm all around it to take in the elbow, the wrist, hand and fingers, soothing them, relaxing them giving the right arm a mental massage. Now bringing to mind the left shoulder, starting at the neck and moving along the left shoulder, soothing area after area, relaxing any tension, any tightness, any stiffness in the left shoulder. Now bringing to mind the left arm, starting at the top of the left arm and moving our attention down the left arm, all around it, to include the elbow, the wrist, hand and fingers, soothing them, relaxing them, with this warm attention, kind attention. Now bringing to mind the back, starting below the shoulders and moving our attention down the back with this warm mental massage, relaxing, soothing any tight or sore areas, any tense areas, allowing them to relax.
Now bringing to mind the front of the body, starting just below the shoulders and moving our attention down the front of the body to include the chest, the diaphragm, stomach and the abdomen. Soothing and relaxing the front of the body. This kind, warm attention. And now bringing to mind the left leg, starting at the top of the left leg and moving our attention down the left leg to include the knee, ankle, foot and toes and soothing them with this mental massage, relaxing the left leg. Now bringing to mind the right leg, starting at the top of the right leg and moving our attention down the right leg, all around it, to include the knee, the ankle, foot and toes, and soothing it with this gentle, warm, relaxing attention.
now becoming aware of the whole body just sitting, relaxed, soothed, comfortable, at ease. And we can reflect now on the, what we feel we're so lucky to have in our lives. So lucky, perhaps our relationships, uh, perhaps uh, our practice of the Dhamma, Buddhist teaching, spiritual friends, health, many things that we can feel so lucky to have in our lives. Just reflecting for a few moments on that. What's, why are we so lucky? What's very important to us? What, we, what are we grateful for in our lives? And we can get in contact with the feeling this can bring up when we reflect on why we're so lucky. feeling of warmth, of thankfulness, just appreciating, not taking for granted. And feeling, feeling, feeling the body and mind, the heart too, with this feeling of so lucky.
and we can reflect that we are so lucky to have come across a teaching that emphasizes developing the mind, meditation, developing good qualities. That enable us to practice, to develop, to grow. And to be grateful that it helps us understand ourselves and the world much better. Very helpful for that. So lucky. come across a teaching like this. And we're so lucky to have the opportunity to meditate and to meditate together, which is really supportive, very helpful. And to encounter spiritual friends, people on the path that can help us, encourage us. And we are so lucky just to be present, to let go of the past and the future. Most people are not aware so much of the present. Don't realize that this is a place where we can really relax, be peaceful, be free of who we were, what has happened to us what may happen in the future. So lucky. And there's nothing we need to do now and nowhere we need to go. Just to be here now. Experiencing whatever comes to awareness, sounds, feelings in the body, the temperature of the air, whatever we're aware of, the breath coming and going,
And when the breath comes to our attention, we can infuse it with this feeling of being so lucky that we're still breathing. The breath is still coming and going. And we can breathe in this feeling of so lucky and breathe out this feeling so lucky. We can even use it as a mantra. Breathing it in, so lucky. Breathing out, so lucky. And if the mind wanders off, we can just remember, so lucky, we can bring to mind those things, those people, situations that we feel that we're so lucky to have in our lives. Just breathing in, so lucky, breathing out, so lucky.
And now we're coming towards the end of the meditation, so we can spread this feeling of being so lucky, this feeling of warmth, it can be contentment, peace, relaxation, joyful, spreading this feeling to everyone in this hall and to all those who are participating in this guided meditation this evening. This warmth, this feeling of warmth, contentment, of being so lucky, offering it as a gift to them for their happiness and well-being. May they have this thankfulness, gratitude, this contentment, this ease and peace in the mind, happy to be here. And we can expand this feeling to include all those beings around this hall, around wherever we find ourselves, and to gently to expand this feeling of being so lucky, to include the whole of the area around where we are now, and to keep expanding it and include all those beings, human beings, yes, animals, insects, all the, and the unseen beings, wishing that they may have this warmth of being so lucky, this feeling of so lucky. and expanding it further and further until we cover the whole earth and all realms of existence. And now we can return the attention to ourselves and this feeling of being so lucky, really so lucky.
and to develop the aspiration or intention to try and remember this, that we are actually so lucky, to remember it as often as we can, and to be grateful, thankful for ourselves, the good qualities we have developed, for others, and for the life that we have, for the spiritual friends we have, all the things that we have in our lives. And we can anchor this feeling in the heart of being so lucky and to remember it, to remind ourselves as often as possible, yes, we really are so lucky. And now we can review or reflect on our experience during this meditation. How how do we feel now? How do I feel now? Is it uh, different from before? What qualities do I notice? Did I feel this feeling of warmth, of being so lucky, so grateful. What were the things that caused whatever feelings we experienced to arise? And when I experienced the feeling of being so lucky, did I notice there wasn't much wanting or craving in the mind? Why, why was that? And uh, now I'll ring the bell three times to finish the meditation. But of course, if you wish to continue meditating, no problem.
to those who wish to are welcome to come out of meditation, slowly open the eyes and to move the body, change the posture. Hmm. So now I can test everyone. Are there any questions or comments? <laughs> I know this one online question anyway from yesterday, I think, or last week. Here we are. That's good. Here we are. See you, Randiv. That's I thought he was going to ask a question, actually. <laughs> You're all good. That's great. I use that phrase quite a lot, too. It's a very Australian phrase, all good. So. Um, Ajahn, I might start the online question. All right, thank one you. One question. Yeah. Beyond from Sunday. Sunday, yeah, good, good. So the question is, I'm practicing... Vipassana inside or um, mm. Satipassana meditation? Satipatthana maybe. Is it Satipatthana? Satipatthana. Probably, yeah. Mahasi mm. ya, uh, Sayada techniques. Mm. Mm. I'm worried if this is the right kind of practice mm. since it is without um, the master. Oh, all right. I found I cannot mm. calm myself uh, anymore. Mm. You please provide guidance. Mm. Yes, yes. I th uh, my understanding of the uh, Mahasi technique, I think many, many people here have heard of Mahasi Sayadaw, Burmese uh, master who passed away, uh, meditation master who passed away, and scholar, really, great scholar. Um, I think in the 80s or uh, probably, yeah, I think 80s, he passed away and he created a technique for meditation where one uses one a particular object as the main object and then everything else is a secondary object to attention. And you focus mainly, for instance, the breathing is quite a, is a, quite a familiar um, a meditation object. And so that would be one's primary meditation object. And in actual fact, if you do have a primary meditation object like that, then that will calm the mind. This person said samatha, uh, or samatha, and uh, meaning samatha. This is the quality of calming the mind down. Because always in the Buddhist teaching, the mind needs some degree of calmness, stillness, in order to see clearly, and this is the purpose of it. And there is, in the, my understanding of Mahasi technique, there is um, an aspect of calming the mind down, and this is a primary object. But the magic, the really good approach, is to see everything else, which most people would think, it's a disturbance to the meditation, as secondary objects. You know, and of course, in Satipatthana meditation, 
It's feelings, isn't it? Feelings in the body, feelings in the mind, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Um, uh, feelings to do with the with the, the body, to the with, with the world, but also feelings in the mind as well. And so, and then also to see, you know, the quality or the state of the mind is another aspect, another um, focus for the meditation. And to see if the mind is agitated or if it's calming down, if it's dull or if it's coming together, um, all these different things, all these possibilities. And of course the breath itself is the first foundation of mindfulness, which is the body, you know, the body. We take the breath as being part of the bodily experience. And of course the fourth one is when we reflect on what we're experiencing in terms of the Buddha's teaching, in terms of hindrances. You know, we can know, oh, I'm, the mind's really dull, you know, it's really sleepy, it's drowsy, or there's a lot of desire, or there's a lot of uh, negativity, ill will in the mind, whatever. And also in terms of uh, the other things, in terms of the, the looking at the uh, body and mind, in terms of the, the body and also the nature of the body, the nature of bodily experience, which is always going to be about impermanence, <laughs> it's always going to be about change, particularly the mind to feelings and the uh, perceptions and also what I call choice or intentional activities in the mind. Even when we're meditating, we, you know, just to, when we, we move, we feel like we have to move. This is actually an intention. This is a craving. And one of my teachers, Ayakima, she'd say, remember, when, you, when you're about to move, you have to move the body. Remember, it's dukkha, this unsatisfactoriness. Is pushing you because usually we just move without thinking about it, don't we? We don't realize that, yeah, I'm doing this because it's unpleasant. There's an unpleasant feeling has arisen, um, either in the body or the mind, and then we want to change, we want to move. And this is what we always do in terms of uh, unpleasant feeling. We move away from it. You know, um, we go on holidays. <laughs> Not only talking outside of meditation, we just move away from it as much as we can, try to avoid unpleasant feeling. So this is part of reflecting on Dhamma, but usually in meditation it's just that we want to move and things like that. And also, you know, to reflect on consciousness, the uh, what we're aware of through the... Uh, well, during meditation, usually not sight, sound, sound perhaps, and uh, smells maybe, tastes a little bit, but it's mainly the mind, you know, the actual mind, part of the consciousness um, that we're aware of. So these are all reflections that can come in as secondary objects. But then when that secondary object's passed, a feeling or that we, we have uh, the state of the mind which has come up and it's, it's very uh, strong for us, when that passes, we go back to the breath. So always the breath, as I understand it, the Mahasi technique, is like a stabilizing um, theme. It stabilizes the mind and we return to it. And uh, I always remember I learnt this from 
Sayadaw Upandita. Have you heard of Sayadaw Upandita? But it's not the famous one. <laughs> Sayadaw Upandita Jr. Some people will know him. He's, he's famous here in Melbourne, but not the famous Sayadaw Upandita, who is the successor of Mahasi Sayadaw. And so this technique of, you know, using a primary object and all the other, other things one experiences as secondary objects is quite good because, as I say, often people think they're meditating, you know, they're getting peaceful, then they hear a sound and they, oh, no, this sound, and they develop a negative reaction to the sound. And that disturbs the meditation more than just saying, oh, secondary object. But with the Mahasi technique, they often label too. So they'll label what they're experiencing, you know, thinking, 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 and all these sorts of things. So that's often what they do um, as well. And I think you know, myself, I prefer not to label, just because we can know these things in the mind. We don't need to label. But that's usually the advice, is to label. And that creates the mind that labels everything. <laughs> So that can actually reduce the peace in the mind, actually, when the mind automatically labels, starts to label things. But that's a good thing to see, too, because you're seeing, we see the nature of the mind so conditioned. So really, any meditation technique that we use, this person who's asked this question, we have to look at it in terms of whether it is leading to more peace in the mind, more understanding in the mind, more depth of wisdom. You're talking about vipassana, you know, seeing things more clearly. This is the meaning of vipassana. And uh, if it is leading in a good, that direction, leading towards more peace, more stillness, more uh, understanding in the mind, then that's going in a good direction. Um, but if it isn't, then we may look at other approaches. Because often some of these techniques that um, have grown up, they're not necessarily ones that <laughs> the Buddha actually didn't teach this technique himself. And the idea that one technique fits all is not necessarily true. Um, so we have to maybe try other approaches. And of course, you know, if it's leading to good qualities in the mind, more awareness, more attention, more brightness in the mind, more the mind becoming more stable and more aware, more, um, un more wisdom arising, good. And that's, that's leading in the right direction. Um, so, uh, you know, what this person's experiencing really <laughs> is uh, doubt, you know, doubt whether this is the right, the right approach. And it may not be. I think what we all do, we all have to do with life, isn't it? We investigate and we see, is it leading to better qualities, you know, growth, development in the meditation, in, in the development of the mind? Is the mind getting better qualities in um, and then we decide, yeah, if this is worthwhile pursuing or not. So I think that's uh, the important, the important thing with this. And sometimes with any of these techniques, it's very useful um, uh, to find a teacher in that technique who may be able to um, give more information to one that can actually help one, uh, maybe inspire one. 
uh, more. So it's always good. Check it out and see, you know, whether it's benefiting or not. You know, that's the main thing, isn't it, for all of us. So that's what I would advise for this person. Um, I don't know where they are. Where are they? They didn't mention, oh, right, that's right, they could be anywhere. <laughs> but that's true for all of us. You know, like this evening, you try it out and you see well, if you get benefit from it or not. You know, and that's, that's really the, the test. And, um, you know, when the Buddha gave that teaching to the Kalamas, you've heard the famous Kalama Sutta, where the Buddha said, you know, not to go by um, traditions, not go by things like uh, using logic, infer inference, not to go by, you know, this is my teacher, therefore <laughs> I will, you know, I totally accept this, and not go by scriptures and all these sorts of things. And in that teaching, the main focus is to go by one's experience of what is wholesome, what's positive and what's not and seeing the connection that these negative states of mind actually lead to unhappiness, they lead to unpleasant results, and these positive states of mind lead to good things. Because the Kalamas actually, they weren't Buddhists, and they'd had so many teachers, different teachers, they were at a town, they said, on the edge of a forest, and um, uh, so they called that a wilderness. So a lot of teachers went through there, and they'd say one group would say, one teacher would say this, another teacher would come and say something completely different, and they were very confused. And so the Buddha was actually pointing them towards that, that their own experience of what is wholesome, what's good, and what isn't, and to know that this is, you know, this is leading the good, the positive, wholesome will lead them in a, uh, a good direction and the negative in, uh, in uh, uh, the opposite direction won't be beneficial. Yeah. And if they practice any of these teachings <laughs> and they find that they're leading it to unwholesome states of mind, negative states of mind, then this is not to be followed. So, and that's how the Kalamas, then they became Buddhists. <laughs> they became, so a lot of them would come because the Buddha wasn't being dogmatic. He was really appealing to their own inner wisdom, their own understanding, um, and to sort out this confusion, this doubt. So, thank you for that question. And, uh, yeah. Is there any questions from the floor or? No? Oh, you're doing really well. <laughs> Here we are. Don't we have a few more questions online? Yeah. Indiana? Indiana, yeah. Arjun, can you share some reflections on peace that can be found by letting go of our hopes, dreams that are no longer an option? Thank you. Right, right. They're no longer an option. Yeah, well, it sounds, <laughs> it's a, yeah, that's quite, that's interesting. Because when we have real letting go, it does lead to peace, you know, because usually letting go comes from understanding things. And uh, uh, in this case, you know, understanding that these things, the situation wasn't right for them to happen. And, um, and, uh, seeing the nature of reality, the impermanence of things, 
and that uh, we can't necessarily control so much. We like to, many people like to control lots of things, but we can't necessarily. And that things will go the way they go. People, relationships will go the way they go. Sometimes people grow together in a relationship, sometimes they go opposite direction, sometimes very friendly when they go apart, other, other, other times not so friendly. And uh, so, so really, you know, if they can bring some um, wisdom, understanding, that allows us to let go and to be grateful for the things in our lives, the good things in our lives, and to know that, you know, everything, this body, this mind, our relationships, everything will change, is impermanent. And, uh, you know, that one day each and every one of us here will have to give up this body that we have, that we think is, is me, it's I, mine. <laughs> but it will happen. And for us, for Buddhists at least, you know, we have the understanding that then the mind will move on to a new life. And what we will take with us are the good qualities that we have. So this impermanence um, is, is part of reality. And as I said, the other part that most people don't like is, and is the fact that it can be unsatisfactory. You know, and this person, I think, is really, it sounds like, you know, these hopes were not fulfilled. It didn't work out the way they wanted it to do, uh, to be. And, of course, that's part of life, you know, that it will not necessarily go the way we want. And um, so this is, you know, this is teaching us. All this is teaching us about the nature of reality. And the third aspect, of course, is that these bodies and minds are a process, a changing process, and we're not the owners. We are not the controllers of other people <laughs> who we'd like to be in our lives or not be in our lives, whatever it be. Usually it's one or the other, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, so not to... It sounds like they may have... Um, it sounds a bit like they may have some sort of suffering with that, I think, really, to, um, you know. But what enables us to let go, really, is to see that this, this triple nature of, of existence, impermanent, it's going to be unsatisfactory, imperfect. This is wonderful, quite a nice teaching, imperfect, so we, we won't necessarily get it the way we want. And even if we do, a little bit more time, and we won't want it like that, or that the situation will have changed by itself. And so this is uh, our experience, actually. We can't get it really perfect. And that desire to get it perfect leads to wanting to control, wanting it to be a particular way. We're not flowing with things as they are, which is always going to be changing. So I think... If we reflect in a wise way, we can learn a lot from our experience. And it's always going to be this, the same things, that it's, in, it's impermanent, it's changeable, it's unreliable, it's unpredictable. This is all part of a Nietzsche, one of the very the fundamental qualities of reality, which lead to the, leads to the fact that things 
will always be imperfect because it's always changing. It's never going to be exactly the way we want it. If it is, it'll soon change. <laughs> and, and in the end, it was all a process anyway, this body and this mind. And uh, so th these reflections actually on reality, if we're good students, this is what Ajahn Chah said, the world, uh, he said actually, he was talking about the six senses, you know, the five senses of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting and touching the mind are teaching us all the time. But we have to be good students <laughs> to, to really appreciate what life is actually teaching us. Um, and when we do understand it, then there will be real happiness in the mind, a real relief. And when we realize, no, I didn't get it wrong, it's just the nature of life. And oftentimes when we don't get what we want, later on we can think, thank goodness. <laughs> Maybe at this stage this person doesn't think that. You know, and of course the famous example for monks is, you know, you think of Ajahn Brahm, you know, had girlfriends and all this sort of thing. But had, he con had it really worked out, he could be, you know, married, settled down in business or whatever, or working at a university, doing something like that. And so, you know, he's very thankful that life was like that. And sometimes it takes us in a direction we could never have guessed that it would take us. So hopefully it's, it's, it will be like this for this person too, but to learn from it and uh, to, uh, yeah, and to develop that wisdom that allows us to let go. That's what Anicca, Dukkha and Anatta do. They allow us to let go. And of course, big time letting go is when we know we don't really own it. We don't really own this body and this mind. We don't own this craving. We aren't the cravers. We aren't the wanters. We aren't the choosers. Most people, that is really, that's really a, sort of like a mind, mind, uh, almost mind warping concept actually you know you tell that to most people they think what is he doing must be mad <laughs> must be mad but of course we all these things are conditioned by so many things in our lives our friends advertising all these things that shape you know this arising of craving then we own it then we think it's us then we have to have it but if we actually saw it as it's not me it's not mine it's not myself. It's like our neighbour. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be upset at all. We would think, well, no, I don't have to do this, really. It's, but when we think it's us, it's our choice, our craving, then we feel really driven. <laughs> got to get it, got to do it, and all that. So this is the ultimate freedom, is when we see non-self. This is, this is really where we can let go in a big way, because we realise, yeah, I never did own it, really. What a relief. <laughs> what a relief. And so that's a good note to finish on. A pretty deep note. <laughs> From a go away thing, what was that all about? <laughs> so as long as you can't go away was so lucky. That's a good message, I think, for all of us. To be grateful and to be thankful for what we have in our lives. To see what is really much, much more in our lives rather than to be completely 
focused on what's missing all the time that we need to get, to need to be fulfill ourselves, to be satisfied, when in actual fact we're fine as it is. <laughs> so I'd like to finish there. And for the person online, I hope that was helpful. And uh, for those who wish to, we can pay respects to Buddha Dhamma and the Sangha. Oh, that's it.